Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. On behalf of myself, Janice Malone, and everyone at Film Festival Radio Show, we want to wish you a very safe, fun-filled, and Merry Christmas. We're going to play one of our best-of shows from previous weeks, but we'll be back next Saturday with another edition of Film Festival Radio Show. So have a wonderful holiday weekend. See you next week. It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone. And yeah, we are back with a brand new show after taking a last two Saturdays. We had to do a little sabbatical there. Holiday was one and then travel was the other one. So now we are back to round off and end 2021 with our last few remaining shows for this year. And to further speak of this year, I got some really fun information here for you that uh, before we get to our guest here. Now, this I love these listicles type uh, stories like this. According to WalletHub.com, the personal finance website, this is a really cool report. This is WalletHub's most fun cities in America for 2021. Yeah, let's see who's on there. Um, hold on here. Let me get the details. So they what they did was Wallet Hub, they did this research and they did this survey. They're very good at this kind of stuff, where they did some uh, comparisons of a 180 American cities and they based them on 65 key metrics ranging from fitness centers per capita to the cost of movies, uh, the average uh, hours open for uh, bars and breweries and such as that. And so, but you know, we, we Americans, we love, we love our restaurants. We love our travel. We love our bars and clubs and playing outdoor sports. And uh, it just depends on what you like, whether it's riding roller coasters or playing video games, uh, all of this stuff. Entertainment can be expensive. And according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know, they are the serious ones about all the numbers in the ABCs and one, two, threes. The average American spends over $2,900 on entertainment per year. And if you are here in Vegas, you probably spend $2,900 in one slot machine. Just saying, you know, not, you know, just saying it's Vegas that's what you're supposed to do but you know everybody has their own preference everybody has their own preference on what makes a city fun so to help us Americans find out which cities are the most fun as far as variety yet cost effective options and such wallet hub to the rescue so let's find out what are the top 20 most fun cities in America and let's see where our beloved city ranks on there. So let's start with number 20. Number 20 is St. Louis, Missouri. Okay, I've been there. Houston, Texas, number 19. That's my original hometown. Washington, D.C., number 18. Cincinnati is number 17. It's number 16. I would think San Diego would be a little higher than that. So beautiful in San Diego. Anyway, they're number 16. Number 15 most fun city in America is Fort Lauderdale. Seattle is number 14. Portland is number 13. Denver is number 12. Tampa Bay is number 11. Another beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, number 10 is New York, New York. Honolulu is number nine. And Chicago is number eight. Austin, Texas, yeah, I can see that. Austin has a lot going on. There's number seven. San Francisco is number six. Oh, my God. New Orleans is number five. NOLA, number five. 
Yeah, thank you. Great food. Miami, South Beach did that. Number four, most fun city in America. Number three is Atlanta, the ATL itself. Uh, number two is Orlando. And number one is, drum roll, Las Vegas. Yay! Las Vegas is the number one most fun city in America. Are we surprised? I think not. Yeah, we're it. Yeah, we are it. Number one, according to WalletHub.com. So if you'd like to see more information on uh, how they put this list together, uh, how they did it, just go to their website. It's all there, WalletHub.com. But we made, not only did we make the list, we made number one on the list. Don't mess with us here in Vegas. Just don't even think about doing it. So I think that this is obviously the time of year when we're going to try to get our fun groove on. New Year's Eve is coming up. What is it? How much better can it get than to spend New Year's Eve in Las Vegas? Come on. You just can't get any better than that. So we will be getting our fun groove on to round out, end up this year, as always, like we do it here in Las Vegas. So anyway, just wanted to share that with you. I think it was a lot of fun information. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will have more of Film Festival Radio Show. We will have our first guest. I'll tell you some more about who our guests are. And uh, we'll just do that. That's what we will do. So who's, before we break, is anybody upset about... How could you? Well, some people are uh, around here are upset because their favorite city uh, should have been, they think, should have been ranked higher. It's not my fault. WalletHub did that. So take it up with WalletHub.com. Okay, we'll be back after this quick break with our first guest. Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone will be right back after this. This is Drew and Jonathan Scott, the Property Brothers, and you are listening to Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone. Okay, we are back with more Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone here. And so I'll tell you some more about today's show. We have some guests. We have two guests who will be calling in in about 65 seconds or so. Uh, they are two of the cast members of Love and Hip Hop. Yes, the hit VH1 television show. I'll tell you more about it in a minute. And then after then, uh, they are done. Our Next guest will be talking to us uh, about uh, the Alec Baldwin Rust film tragedy, and uh, it's well, it's, it's still a very awful, very awful, unfortunate accident. Of course, a uh, young lady lost her life, but we'll have a guest on who will be talking more in depth uh, about that whole unfortunate incident. But first, let's get to as we kind of kill some time here. Our guest who will be calling in. Our rapper, singer, actress, Sin Santana, and makeup artist, Jonathan Fernandez. And they are two of the stars of VH1's hit show, Love and Hip Hop. Well, guess what? They are now a part of the cast of the new season two hit show, VH1's Family Reunion Love and Hip Hop Edition, which will uh, have uh, season two will start on Monday, Monday night, 8 p.m. our time here. You know, it's just a spinoff of the hit franchise. And so the, uh, season one was a big hit. So why not bring us season two? And that's what's going to happen. Lots of uh, drama. Of course, it wouldn't be love and hip hop if it wasn't conflict and drama, but some fun and and. I heard a little bit of forgiveness, shall we say? Yeah, could be. So uh, last season's show, as I said, VH1 Family Reunion, Love and Hip Hop Edition, had uh, they combined celebrities from the various other cities of Love and Hip Hop, from Atlanta, New York, Hollywood, and Miami. So the reunion show was going to bring all of them together. It will be some of your favorites, Erica Minya, 
uh, Jules Santana, Cambella, Marcus Black, Mimi Faust, uh, Booby Gibson, Brooke Valentine. Oh, it's just, it's a lot of them. Rich Dollars. If you love the show, you know all of these cast of amazing, kind of interesting people. Yeah, they're very entertaining. That's why they are what they are doing. That's why they're doing it, obviously. But anyway, um, Sin and Jonathan Fernandez will be joining us in about another 15 seconds here. Uh, the music that we heard leading into this segment, that's uh, Sin Santana's latest, a little cut of her latest song that just came out like about two, maybe a day and a half ago now. So it just fresh out of uh, the studio there. So if you like it, it is the video that I saw is all in Spanish and I, oh, I can't read Spanish or speak it, but I'm learning. I am slowly learning. So anyway, let's get, I see the green light flashing here. So let's bring on Sin Santana and Jonathan Fernandez, two of the stars of VH1's Love and Hip Hop, but now they are part of the new season of the new show, VH1 Family Reunion Love and Hip Hop Edition, which will be premiering season two on Monday night at 8 p.m. So let's bring them on here. We're trying to get our green lights done here. Yes, Sin and Jonathan online. Well, hello, Jonathan and Sin. Hello to both of you. Hi, I'm doing very well. I'm all uh, gassed up on caffeine, so it, you know I'm ready. So, that <laughs> a girl. I love it. Oh yeah. Well, okay. We are all gathered here. Well, it's not a wedding, but. VH1 Family Reunion Love and Hip Hop Edition coming back Monday, December 13th. Okay, the two of you, is there anybody that you're looking forward to getting to see again? And is there anybody you maybe not quite ready to see again? So how does that run? Uh, you know, I think I think we're all interconnected through the show so i think what we're most excited about is just kind of getting back to work getting getting back to doing what we love to do and sin and i are not people to shy away from conversations or anything and we walk into situations with open hearts and open minds so we're ready for whatever we're not looking forward to seeing anyone specifically uh we're just looking forward to being together in this experience that we call it in hip-hop okay We're pretty much, adding on to what Jonathan said, we're pretty much going into this with an open mind and open heart. So it's, it's the experiences that we're looking forward to. So, of course, we're all going to tune in just in case something kind of controversial happens. Um, possibility? <laughs> Any possibility <laughs> there on that or, or, or what? Oh, baby, this show hits the ground running with drama. Like, if anybody watched season one, consider this season one on, like, steroids. That Ooh. show was completely kumbaya from episode one. We kind of get to the kumbaya, but when I tell you every episode is jam-packed with drama, I think when you put 20 people with such big personalities and such strong opinions together for so long, drama is bound to ignite because everybody kind of stands their ground on what they believe and, and what they think, and you just have to tune in. It's, it's, it is a really good show. Oh, it was. Season one was, was awesome. So during the, the break, you know, after the season one, did, did anybody or, or anybody friends, did anybody hang out? Did anybody share recipes, do any gardening together? Uh, did you kumbaya after the season one is what I'm trying to say. Um, um, people, people definitely, I mean, it's, uh, kind of not really. Ah! <laughs> People definitely let out their differences, but I'm not going to sit here and act like everybody became a big old family actor, you know? So Yeah. And I think people, we all kind of knew each other already going into it, but there was also people there that we didn't know. So, like, um, you know, I didn't know Brooke Valentine, and, and meeting her there, it was just beautiful to build a friendship 
with her. So it was exciting to build friendships with people who I admired maybe from other shows, and, and I just didn't know them like that. Okay, okay. So there wasn't um, a reason to go kumbaya, and I, I can I can feel that right now here. But we're we're going to be tuning in, of course, Monday night uh, to see what happens. I just have a feeling. I just can't wait. I can't wait. Well, before I sign off here, I've been peeping on both of you uh, on your Twitter pages there, and I send I I saw where. You are auditioning, looking for dancers for a video shoot in Miami. Is that still going on or what? Yeah, I'm looking for video um, for dancers for a festival, not a video shoot. Oh, a, a festival. Okay, so people can go to your Twitter page and they and you have all the information there and such. Yes. Okay, and Jonathan, I was nosing on your Twitter page and I saw this interesting quote that you did last month. It said you said. Regarding, I think it's, it's therapy. Get a friend that you can sing at the top of your lungs in a car with. No mat, no amounts of therapy can oh top that. Who would be that friend? If, I know. If, <laughs> who would be the friend? I know. It's my friend. It's, it's my friend on the line. Like I think therapy, <laughs> therapy can come from many different uh, avenues, right? And mm -hmm. like I'm not a person who I can just sit on the couch and cry to a person for an hour who I hardly know. My therapy comes from like jam sessions on the West Side Highway, not talking about stuff, but blasting our favorite music, blasting disco songs like Donna Summer and Gloria Gaynor with the windows down and just singing at the top of my lungs. For me, it is by far the most therapeutic experience. If you have not done it, please get in your car right now and put the music on 100 and just get, go with a friend and sing. Our karaoke sessions are like what I live for. Yeah, wow. it's my therapy. That's pretty cool. I would probably, I, I drive a little convertible Beetle, so that would be fun for me, especially. I, I like that. Saves a lot of money, too, on therapy. Do it, Janice. Let your hair down. Put that top down, Janice, and sing at the top of your lawn. Go with your friend and your bestie or your husband or your wife or whatever you're into and just do it, girl. I think I'll yes. do that. I think I'll do that. Well, that's good to hear the two of you are uh, kumbayaing together as friends. That's good. That's very good. I love that. So is there going to be a big viewing party uh, Monday or what's going to happen with that? I'm gonna be watching from the from the sheets, peeking like a horror movie because I don't know what to expect. You know, we filmed this months prior, and uh, we watch with you guys. We don't know the edits, we don't know what's gonna go on, we don't know what's been kept, what hasn't been, and then. You know, a lot of the times when we film these shows, we're drinking and we're tired, so we don't remember we said certain things. So, yeah, I'm going to be watching in the comfort of my home in a dark room with my dog peeking through the sheets like a horror movie. And what about you, Sin? Big viewing party <laughs> at your house or what? Yeah, I'll be right next to Jonathan under the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. you two, come on now. You get some pizza, <laughs> at least. Get some pizza. Grow up, Finn. Grow up. Grow up, Jonathan. Oh, goodness. Well, we're going to find out, uh, of course, Monday night and uh, November, November, I'm in December, December 13th. And uh, so a last question here. As far as Christmas, New Year's, uh, big parties, plans, anything special you two are, are doing separately or maybe together or what? Always together. I think the blessing of our friendship is how much our families love each other. Oh, that's good. So, like, last holidays, last year, we spent it together, and we're definitely family people. So, Tina's going to be with her family. I'll be with mine. But the beauty of it is we get to bring our families together, and it's all one big, huge party. So, we'll probably be doing that again this year. Excellent. New Year's resolutions, anybody? We just want to keep being amazing beings pouring into the world receiving from the world like we literally just like want to live like our best lives like i know people say that today like that's like a popular phrase but we literally feel like that every single day every single day needs to be amazing and it's the same new year's resolution for me at least okay well we're gonna i want to lose weight and get laid <gasps> oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i wasn't expecting that one <laughs> Sorry, <Jonathan. laughs> Jonathan, please. 
Candace, if you know any dudes for me, send them my way. Send them to my Twitter. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of them. I mean, it would be a line. Uh, lots of them that would, they're, they're going to be very excited to hear this for you. So A line? You're so popular with so many guys that I know. So, yeah, that's a great possibility. That will be my Christmas gift to you. How about that? Oh, thank you, Janice. I'm ready for all of that. If you, if you promise to do my makeup in exchange. I got you, girl. Next time I'm in Vegas, I'm going to hit you up. All right. That's a promise. Well, both of you... San Jonathan, thank you for the chat. It all goes down Monday, December 13th. VH1 Family Reunion Love and Hip Hop Edition returns. So thank both of you. Have a great rest of the weekend. You too. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Okay, then take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, want to remind you that you are listening to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone. And I'm sure by now you figure that out. So anyway, uh, we're going to roll right along here because uh, our next guest is on board. Uh, we'll be in about 20 seconds or so. And uh, his name, uh, hopefully I get, I've been trying to practice his last name. His name is Karu Papritz. I think I've got it right, but when he comes on board, he'll straighten me out. And uh, he is, he will be chatting about uh, the very unfortunate, unfortunate and tragic accident that took place on this film, Rust, uh, with Alec Baldwin. Unfortunately, a young lady lost her life uh, on, the, on this um, film. And so recently, what was that, two or three weeks ago, uh, Alec Baldwin and George Stephanopoulos from ABC News had an interview. Everybody saw it. Um, so anyway, our guest also saw it. So he's going to be talking about uh, that particular interview. But the reason he is coming on is because he has extensive knowledge of working on film sets, behind the scenes, television sets, as far as TV shows and television commercials. Um, he's a previous non-union and union member uh, working in oftentimes in the art department, working on uh, music videos, just a variety, just just almost anything with a camera. He's he's been there. He uh, has also worked for the local forty four union, which uh, their prop person from that union worked on the Rust set. So uh, Karu has again, he has a lot of experience working with such top actors as Johnny Depp and uh, Marlon Brando. Just so many. We'll, we'll get the full list when he comes on board. So he definitely knows the importance of safe productions and having a safe production environment. And so since he has that type of experience, he's going to come on to share with us how something like this possibly may have happened and why uh, the do's and don'ts as to why it should not have happened. So let's bring him on um Karu Papritz uh, is joining us, so we're going to get this all connected up here, and uh, we'll just take it from there, and just hopefully we can all learn something uh, a little bit more about um, the world of behind-the-scenes movie sets and what's safe and what's uh, not safe and how, I mean, accidents happen anywhere, as we all know. So let's bring him on board, uh, Karu Papritz, on right now. Okay, everyone, uh, I've already told you so much about my next guest. I uh, cannot wait to get into this conversation. Uh, Karu Papriz. Is that correct, Karu? Did I get it right? 
We're getting we're getting close. Papritz, but it's we're we're in the ballpark. Papritz. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Janet. Yeah, you uh, got I, I got to take some more lessons. Some more lessons here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what we are about to chat, uh, talk about here is a uh, trending all over, continues to trend all over the news, of course, as I mentioned to the listeners earlier, about the very tragic um, on-set accident involving uh, Alec Baldwin uh, during uh, the making of the film Rust. Unfortunately, a young lady lost her life. And so... I tell you, Karu, this is just amazing that this happened for us who don't know the behind the scenes of how films and television shows and television commercials work, but you do. I did tell the listeners a little bit about you, but tell everyone your background and uh, previously and currently about as it pertains to Hollywood film and television shows. Well, I, I guess the easiest way to say I, um, I've worked on every type of shoot that can be in Hollywood. I've worked on the low budget, the big budget, and the no budget. The non-union, the union, the film, TV commercials, music videos, when there were actually music videos back in the day, pilots, movie of the weeks. Um, I worked primarily in the art department as a set dresser. Um, and that was on as a union set dresser before that time. When you are working in the art department, you pretty much work as every single thing imaginable, as you can imagine, on, on the low budgets. Um, and for those that don't know what a set dresser or swing gang is, basically you help dress out the set. So you bring in everything that an actor doesn't touch. Or in reverse, if you are the prop master, it's everything the actor touches, which is a very, very fine distinction. So. The armor who works under the prop person, because if you're an armor, that's they, they handle the guns, that's in the prop department. But in set dressing, it's basically when you look at a house, when you look at a room, when you look at a um, a forest. A forest? <laughs> that might be honest. Sure, we put together forest and jungles and... You name it. I mean, it's Hollywood, right? We can make it look like it's anywhere in the world, anytime in history, in any place. Sure, that is all what I would be involved with. The forest would be what they call the greensman, but that is something that we would actually, we could help out with also. So um, I graduated out of UCLA Film School. And the first thing they teach you when you get out of film school, um, if you don't jettison yourself out of film school with a directing deal or a screenwriting deal, you start at the bottom and you let not a soul know that you've been in, in film school because guess what? You have to work your way up. It is a craft. It takes years to learn and it is a school of hard knocks and they really want you to learn what it's like to do every single aspect of whatever it is that you're gonna end up being being in. So whether it's cinematography or if you're doing grips and gaffer work, whatever, uh, or set dressing in the art department, you just learn it by sheer repetition and sheer experimentation and being on a lot of non-union pictures. The nice part about when you go union is you get more protections, you get more money, and you're not worked to death, which in this case is one of the things that um, led not, not exactly into what had happened, but what my experience has been on pictures such as this, which is a low-budget picture, um, on location, and low-budget is critical to this because that means they have a very, very tight shooting schedule, and you are generally working um, around the clock on location. Normal film hours are 12-hour days. That's normal. Location, you are working normally 14 to 16 hours a day, six days a week. Um, and that's normal. And then your what they call your turnaround, how many hours you get to sleep, that's eight hours you're allotted. Anything less than that, and you get paid triple time, it starts to go on all these things. So that's where the union comes in and protects you from getting overworked, getting tired, making mistakes, and, and getting things starting to get sloppy like that um, on a set. And again, I've been on sets like that and shoots like that where it's happened and, um, and actually got injured on one. Uh, where that was the case. Now, I understand that you once upon a time worked for the uh, the furthest peak of unions, the local 44, which is the Correct. union that the prop person is from that worked on the Rust set. Is, is that, have I got that right or what? Yes, 
Exactly. Yeah, okay. local 44. Okay. So when you say low budget, I understand that the, the budget for Russ was only like $8 million, and you've got Alec Baldwin. I mean, he probably makes that just to... You know, just to take a nap or something. I mean, how could this, you know, how could this be? I don't understand. You know, that's a great question. A lot of people have asked me that. Is Alec Bowie? He could be able to ask anybody. Well, actually not, because this was probably a um, a picture that was near and dear to his heart, uh, something that he wanted to do. We can call it a vanity picture. Um, I'm not sure of that, but I'm guessing just because of the, the budget, it was also a tax write-off. I did track that down, that it was um, on low-budget films, they'll set up a no, uh, certain amount of money as a tax vehicle for investors to put money in and, uh, and write it off. So with the combination of that um, and the fact that he was going to shoot out of state and that probably they shopped it around, meaning his agent, other agents, and the, and the majors, the big studios, whatever, they said, that's ah, ah, not a cup of tea. He really wanted to make it, again, that's my conjecture, but I'm sure that was part of the case. And they said, okay, we'll do it. This is the amount of money you get. And, and that sets things into motion. The second interesting part of that is, is that, um, the armor, armor um, this was her second feature. And so one could say, well, why wouldn't Alec Baldwin, the big name Alec why was he able to get whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted? Well, guess what? People who work in this industry a long, long time really at a certain point get to pick and choose. You're going to be away from your family, especially on location. You could be away for months on end. Location works hard. No offense, but it's glamorous, but it's, but it's hard. Um, and you are asking experienced prop people, lead men, you know, all your, all your leads and all your different departments to go out and work on a hard film and probably not get their, the rate that they would normally get. The union sets a rate for your position, and then you can negotiate above that position. So after, if you have that much experience, you just get that much more because you're that good at what you want to do. And I'm certain that no one um, at the higher rate levels and the more experienced um, um, people uh, in, the, in the unions, they said, ah, it's not my cup of tea. I don't want to go out there for four weeks and, or five weeks and, and work my brains to death on, a, on what we know from experience. We're just going to, you know, just mow ourselves into the ground. Now, you and I were talking earlier, and you said to the effect that when you first heard about this tragedy uh, and the details that they released at the time, that you weren't totally that surprised. So talk about that for a minute. Yeah, and this is really important for your listeners to understand. So what my... I feel my job in these interviews, and again, I, I want to say something too about no one should ever, ever get hurt making a movie. I would stress that to my crews all the time, and you know, this is like this is make believe. No, you don't get hurt on motion, but you don't do not get hurt on this. And so that was one of the, the mantras I used with my crews. Um, and so when I heard that a shooting had occurred, my first thought was um, maybe union, non-union picture or non-union or um, low budget definitely, and that it had begun to fall apart early, early on. Because to me, for a something like that to occur, you needed a breakdown in sort of the chain of command, breakdown in the way that a that a that a film production is working. Um, productions are difficult, um, but with experienced people, they 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 can get run. They they can be run relatively smoothly, especially when everyone knows what they're doing. So, in my experience, when a picture, you everyone gets a sense right in the first couple weeks if this is going to be one of those pictures where you're going, oh my gosh. Or like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the, in the world. Um, and what my guess is, is that they began to have some problems right from the beginning. And that that's a top-down deal. That's, a, that's, that's 
leading by example. And one could say, is it the producer? Is it the UPM, the unit production manager, the AD? It's all of them. But at a certain point, everyone begins to get a sense of that things are being pushed um, further than normal. Shortcuts are being happen again, money over over safety. And experienced people understand this. And so that's why you had crew members starting to complain about what was going on. And uh, I don't know if some of the complaints were not getting your paychecks out there, um, not getting a proper turnaround. Turnaround is really critical on a, on a location picture. Again, you're working so much. You need sleep. You really need to sleep. And they were not giving them good, decent hotels. They're making them drive further to where they had to go. I don't know the specifics of it, but I definitely understand when you're being forced to drive an hour to a hotel at the end of your 16 hour shift, that means there and back, you only, that's two hours taken up out of your eight hours. And then you've got to wind down. I mean, I remember being so exhausted at the end of the day on location, but I couldn't go to sleep. I'd have a beer and I'd fall asleep with the beer in my hand and wake up with the beer in my hand. And that's a trick. That's hard to do. So, um, but, but sadly, this is, this is when I heard all these things that were happening. And then I heard that the union camera crew had walked off the day of the shooting. So to me, as a set dresser, if I walked off, nobody would care. Even if the art department walked off, nobody would care. If anybody else walked off, nobody would care. Guess what? Union camera crew, the camera crew, the people that put the film in the can, if they walk off, that's not a red flag. That's a bonfire. Yeah. That is huge. That is and right huge. then and there, that production should have been shut down. And a lot of people have been saying that it should have been shut down. Uh, I, well, you've read the reports. I've read them, too, at the minute that yeah. happened. Um, so the... Tell, the interview that Alec Baldwin did with ABC News' is George Stephanopoulos, yeah. what, what did you, what's your yep. spin, what did you think of the interview? I was, um, my, when I talked about this before, my first thought was, hey man, you were involved in the death of a person at whatever level that, that is. Um, out of respect for the Hutchins family, go away. Go away. And go away for yourself and your family. Go go think about this. Go grieve, you know, and and and, and let let the grieving happen for the family. I mean this is a this is very much there's an old Buddhist saying, when you kill one person, you kill two people. And I think that's interesting and I don't I I have a feeling that he feels very bad. But on the other hand, now comes the legal games, now comes the getting out in front of it, and I have a feeling his lawyers are saying, you know, maybe not the best idea in the world, but go ahead, let's get your narrative out there. You can tell your story, and that will set the story from here on out. But I'll tell you, I was so disturbed. I felt when he said, when he didn't take responsibility, it's like, oh, buddy, seriously? You gotta man up. You gotta, as a producer, you have to take responsibility. As as the lead actor, you take responsibility. I mean, if you're not, if you're saying I'm not pulling the trigger, I didn't pull the trigger. I, and everyone is just just incredulous at that point. You've got every gunsmith on the planet saying, I, I don't think it could happen unless it was a one in a million chance. And then you're gonna break that down. The argument's gonna be all over that, and then you're gonna miss the point that you that that a person lost their life not just because of the shooting, but because of all the events that led up to it that allowed this situation to happen. And that wasn't the first, not misfire. You probably read the reports too, right? Yeah. Where they had some, yeah, stuff going on. And never, 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 never in a million, million years should live rounds ever be anywhere around a film set. Ever in a million years. It's just, it's just never. I want to go back to, to about the, the ammunition and such. I, you know, my working knowledge of what goes on on a film set is just very like limited. I just always thought that there were either rubber bullets or blank bullets used. I didn't know that why are, why are there real live bullets on a, on a film or a TV set? 
But no, there shouldn't be. There should never have been. There's only dummy rounds, and experienced armors know what that looks like. There's now I. To the point, I have never worked on a set. Um, only I take that back. Some some of the other weeks and things like that where they had it, but I wasn't around. Um, my work didn't put me around the armor very very much, so I don't have a lot of experience with that. But I read what was going on, and and an experienced armor knows the difference between a dummy round and a regular round. With that being said, um, yeah, there's just. It, it, my theory, for what it's worth, I thought maybe they were out plinking around after hours shooting stuff off and, and got some rounds mixed up. Or now there's another theory that where she bought the rounds from. Um, some local guy that, that got mixed in with the live rounds and the dummy rounds. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. But ultimately, if you are an armor, and you, that means you're a gun person, gun safety is you, you have... You have ten checks in between before that gun ever reaches that actor's hand. I mean, there's just so many steps that you take to to make sure that there is safety beyond all. So, yeah, I, it's just it's it's it did happen, and it, again, for me, it points to a systemic breakdown in the overall shoot, and that's what I would want your listeners to understand. There's another interesting part to this too. Janice, in that um, in Variety reported in 2010, there was something like 216 productions going on around the country. Ten years later, we have over 500 film productions, film TV productions going. That is huge. That is, that is just gigantic. And as a result, and why? Because of the streaming services primarily. I mean, you got Netflix going on. It's just incredible. But that does not mean you are going to get experienced crew members in 10 years. And especially if it takes years to, 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 to build yourself up as a, as a credible craftsperson in your, in your field of expertise. So you do have a lot of inexperienced film people out there. Um, and this is probably a result of that. And so how do you think or do you think that this unfortunate tragedy, is it going to improve productions in the immediate future, or just what do you think this is going to evolve into? Yeah, it, I think it points to sort of, well, it's interesting. So I, to tell you the reason, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an author. I wrote a book called The Legacy Letters, and it speaks to how we live legacy in our lives. You know, most of the time we think about legacy is that which you live behind, leave behind. And my whole central theory is you want to live your legacy. You want to live the, the way you want, you, you want to walk your talk, essentially. And so I think the legacy for Hollywood here is, yeah, we're going to go back to being very um, um, aware of safety protocols. I mean, they did it with the Brandon Lee shooting, you know, back in the day. But I think what needs to happen is there needs to be a safe place for people to, um, this is my thought, is that we should call it, a, what do they call it? The Hutchins Hotline. And to have a way for people to call in, not only to the union, but to someplace and say, hey, I don't think this, this set is being run safely. Let's have someone come out and question it, or let's, or some series of things that could happen, almost like a whistleblower hotline, where no one's going to, there's going to be no repercussions, but that there's, you know, the, whatever the case may be, there's some sort of issues going on. There's always issues going on set, but not, if it comes to safety issues, those need to be reported without fear of retribution. That's the, the whole thing about the entertainment industry. It, I remember years ago, I met an independent director, his first name was Chuck, and I remember Chuck telling me how the actual working, I mean, working that you depend on, this is your bread and butter of Hollywood, not, oh, I'm, I'm an actor and I work at Whataburger or Burger King. No, the people who really are making a living, maybe you're not making the kind of money that Alec Baldwin, those types of things, but that's, you're really making a living. He said that group is very small. He says oh, yeah. it's a tight, small circle. So my my point is, 
the retribution, I'm, I can only imagine if you or if a person speaks out and says the wrong thing about anything that goes on in Hollywood, that they probably are very nervous when I work again. Yes. Um, you know, when you watch the Academy Awards, you're actually watching a small village of people yes. that everyone knows everybody. That's how, that's how small it really is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you, and especially if you're in film or if you're in TV, those two worlds are, they're smaller yet. I mean, people like, um, there, there is crossover, but you, you get, um, experienced people and, um, you, you have to, I just lose my train of thought there. Everybody knows everybody. Well, finally, yeah. I should have mentioned, asked you this at the top of the, the chat, but I know that you have worked on projects with such top actors as Brando and Johnny Depp. And just tell us some of the projects and people that you've worked with. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, when you work with Brando, that, the one thing you get when you work in the movie industry, which is, which is almost one of the best parts, is the stories. You, yes. you come home with story after story after story because yeah you're you're in the inside you get to see it all and then uh, the, the works and all so to speak but I think working with Brando was definitely one of the, the pinnacles of my my time in movie just because it's it's Brando and you say brand it's, it's generationally um, and Johnny Depp and um, uh, oh my gosh this I worked uh, with Madonna on a music video worked with uh, R.E.M. Uh, worked um, around, oh gosh, who else? It almost becomes a who hoop of um, oh, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, uh, Bobcat Goldweight, um, um, I know there's some lesser names, and bigger, Kevin Costner on Waterworld. Again, these are, and what's interesting too is not you, not all the time do you get full credits, your IMDb credits and that. Um, you will get what's called, um, you can day play. Mm -hmm. So you can get hired for three, four, five, six weeks, but if you didn't come on, get, if you didn't come on with the original crew, you're not going to get a credit for it. But that's okay because you get to be on a lot of interesting and different crews. So that was more my cup of tea uh, rather than some of these shoots just go on for six, seven months and yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, I can't let you go without asking you this. Speaking of Waterworld, why was Waterworld yeah. such a disaster? <laughs> Jeez. You're put on the spot for that. Uh, I, you know, I guess if, if you, to some people, you mean as a financial disaster yeah. or as a narrative disaster? I just caught it all I mean, of it. I, I mean, from what I read, because I wasn't on location in Hawaii when they shot whatever they shot, and, and I, it was so, when you do pictures with children or pets, or you do pictures on the water, it, it always takes twice as long, and it costs three times as much. Yeah. I mean, that's, someone told me some variation of that. And then once you start working on pictures with pets and kids, and, and it, you know, like the kids, they slow you up because there's rules. They've got to go to school. They can only do so much time. The, you know, you can't work them as hard. So you have to allow for more time. And, you know, pets are another thing. But the water one was interesting. And guess what? Water world was all on the water. Yeah. So now you're, you've got umpteen amount of – you're over budget before you start just because – how often do you shoot that type of picture on the water and how much experience do you have in doing that? So that's where you run into the, the huge cost overrun. So from that standpoint, I think that's, from my memory, that's what, what happened to them. They just got going way, way, way over budget. Well, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, Curry, I'm really happy that you are sharing some of this, the behind the scenes of what goes on on a film set or TV set because, uh, especially with this generation, everybody, oh, mostly everybody, they think it's all glamour, red carpet, 
It's work. It's a lot of hard work. It's work. It's a lot of yeah. work. And, uh, you know, rules and regulations, safety precautions, all of that has to be put into place, you know, just like any other uh, profession. Like you, if you're working on an oil rig or something in the Gulf, it's just, you know, yeah. very similar where you have to be safe. But I'm just glad you shared a lot of the behind-the-scenes makings of, of how all of this goes. So um, if people would like to... Get in touch with you. Is there a social media? Is there a website? Email address? Oh, yeah. You uh-huh. can, um, basically, everything is through thelegacyletters.com. Okay. Um, you look up Karu Papritz, Twitter, Instagram, uh, uh, Facebook. You know, I'm all out there, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a good way to get a hold of me. LinkedIn, you name it. All the, all the biggies. Okay. Well, Again, thank you so much for coming on and giving us some insight as to this very unfortunate, very tragic uh, accident. But, you know, we, we can only hope and pray that this will never happen again, uh, first of all, on a movie or a film set uh, or television set. And um, try to learn from it as, if possible. So. And try to learn from it. And hopefully something, like I said, like this idea of the Hutchins hotline or mm-hmm. something of that that would come out about it and that people push for it because yeah. there is there is a need for something like that and people do need to report when something is going awry on a set especially if it's happened multiple times because Absolutely. never 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 should this happen again you know the, the world of make-believe should be just that and it should be um, at the end of the day it should be very magical and wonderful to not only participate in but but to watch that should be the greatest legacy for Hollywood Absolutely. Well, thank you again, and uh, hopefully I, I look forward to talking to you next project, next book, or maybe you got next it. film or something for yourself as well. Sounds great. Well, thanks, Janice. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh. Okay, thank you so much, Carew, for bringing us some insight about uh, just some of the behind the scenes of what goes on in the sets of films and television shows and such. And uh, we also want to thank our other two guests from Love and Hip Hop. Uh, yeah, the reunion, San and Jonathan. Make sure you tune in if you're a big fan of the show on uh, Monday night when they will have uh, the premiere of season two of Love and Hip Hop. The reunion edition will be starting. So, hey, Continue to shop, shop until you drop, drop for those Christmas gifts. And we will see you guys uh, next Saturday on the next edition of Film Festival Radio Show. I don't think I'm going to do much shopping. I just don't feel like it. So anyway, we will see you guys next Saturday. Make make it a great week, weekend, all that kind of great stuff. And we'll see you next Saturday. Take care of yourselves out there now. Please be safe, as safe as possible. So we'll see you guys next time. Okay. Yeah, we're coming back next week, of course. Okay, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com.